What's up, guys? Welcome to episode four of Dream Chasing 101 podcast. Uh, today, we have a online media veteran, so to say. He's been in the game for a very long time and worked with some, some massive um, sports brands. And yeah, I'll just leave it up to you, KK, to introduce himself. And yeah, go for it, KK. Yeah, Sean, thanks for having me, man. It's a great honor just to be on this platform. Obviously, been following a lot of your work. I'm a big fan of what you do. So it's really good to connect with you, man. Uh, so... Yeah, just to introduce myself, name is Kukenzo Khaufetuk, I go by the name of KK. Um, yeah, man, as you said, I've been in the media communication space for quite some time now, just over a decade, uh, with some prominent sports federations. So I specialize a lot in sports communication, and that's my field, and quite enjoying it at this moment. And it's actually funny how we met. I know this podcast isn't really golf-specific, but we actually met while I was working the, the SA Open, and... It's actually so funny how golf brings so many different sports together because um, he was playing with a good mate of mine, Rock van der Spey. And uh, yeah, it's just funny how sport always ends up kind of connecting one another no matter what sport you play. Um, so yeah, just another shout out to golf. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely, man. You know, as I, as I did mention to you, uh, you know, earlier when we spoke is that, you know, the game has offered me so much, man. You know, I've just been playing for just over a year and it's been such a great ride, man, just playing the game. Obviously, we miss it quite a lot at this moment in time. Uh, but yeah, man, you know, it has connected me with people like yourself and as you mentioned, Rock as well. So yeah, man, just looking forward to getting back once uh, COVID-19 is all behind us. Yeah, hopefully that takes... I mean, it's going to take a, a bit of time for things to get back to normal, but, you know, we just got to be patient, I guess. No, we have to. We have to. And KK, can you maybe just um, give us a background, obviously working with, with big media brands and, and those kind of things. When you were studying and going through your educational uh, phase, what kind of yeah. work would you say in your mind were you thinking that you'd be doing um, you know, once you were grown up. Yeah. I mean, just to take you back, man, I think we do have time in the space. Um, is that, you know, uh, straight out of high school, the whole plan was to turn pro playing football. So um, during my high school years, that was always the goal. I didn't even think I'd be doing what I'm doing, to be honest with you. Um, so straight after matric, um, I went to the US. Uh, we had the opportunity to just uh, pursue career in the college scene. Um, I was really unfortunate at that point in time that after a few recruits visits, um, you know, I didn't get recruited heavily by some of the schools that I had earmarked. Um, so I had a few colleges that would look, community colleges that were looking at, uh, but I saw that, you know, taking that route uh, was never going to give me an opportunity to be drafted, let's say MSL, uh, MLS, I mean, or come back and play pro because I was in the junior ranks of Morocco Swallows here in South Africa. Um, you know, throughout my high school phase. So that was a whole dream, man, just to turn pro. Um, but yeah, when I was there, it got to a point, man, where I, I could see that, you know, that dream was dying out. Uh, and I decided to just come back home where I enrolled with the University of Johannesburg and I studied sports, uh, sports management. So obviously, you know, just doing sports management, the whole dream was, hey, you know, rather take the broadcasting route uh, become the next Robert Marawa or Neil Andrews, something like that. You know, that was my thinking. Uh, so, yeah, I took the leap of faith, man, did sports management. And while the student there, um, I took the decision to just get into radio. Uh, and I rolled with the university radio scene there with the UJFM. And that's where my career actually started, man. And just to take you back, um, I can kind of relate to you with regards to kind of pursuing uh a career in pro sports or, or elite sport kind of at that level. Um, how did you deal with, with kind of accepting that maybe things just aren't working out? How, how, how does one deal with that? Cause it's, it's always tough. It's, it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, yeah. So how did you, how did you especially manage to deal with that? It's a hard one to swallow, especially when you have your peers, a lot of the, the guys that you played with, uh, you know, signing contracts. And I mean, you're 19, 18 years old. And a lot of the guys that you played with, uh, some, you know, at some point you're actually better than them. And you're like, geez, these guys are turning pro. But it just so happens, man, like that in life, you know, where for me, I think I always uh, knew that I had a backup plan with my academics. Uh, so I always knew that I had 
a backup plan. And I think that's what kind of hindered my progress a little bit, you know, where the hunger was not as was not there like the other guys where the only route was basically turning pro. Um, in the back of my mind, I knew I could always lean back on my books, which is what I did. And, you know, the one thing that really helped me out, man, was coming to terms with my reality at the time. You know, here I am as a 19-year-old in a foreign country. Um, one of the things that I started uh, doing was spending a lot of time coaching young kids, um, you know, because I had a J-1 visa, student visa during that time. So even when I didn't get recruited, I stayed um, in the U.S. for another year or so. Um, so it gave me time to explore and just being exposed to the likes of ESPN, Fox Sports News, that's when I knew that, hey, you know, this is something that I can actually get into, you know, uh, where I can still cover sport and do something that I love. And I think that's where the hunger started and where, you know, a seed was planted to get into sports communication. And as I said earlier that time, the whole dream as a young, as a young boy was that, you know, a young man rather, was for me to get into presenting and being like, as I said, the next Robert Marau or Neil Andrews. Um, but yeah, you know, things, uh, you know, happened where I got an opportunity to pursue that. Had a few stints with the SABC, just interning. Um, I also had an intern stint with the E! News. And that's where I got introduced to the writing side of things, where I realized that, hey, I'm actually better behind the scenes than I am in front of the camera. Uh, you know, but at that time, as a 20, 21 year old, you know, I wouldn't have believed you if you had said that, you know, I was much better behind the scenes because I think at that time, you know, everyone just wanted the popularity and just to be out there. But it just worked out better, man, when I got my big break with the Premier Soccer League as a 22 year old. And you said you, you obviously came back to study. Um, what was the, the obviously making those big decisions because it is quite a big decision to stop pursuing a sport um, at that level. What was this, uh, your support um, circle like? What was the, the general kind of um, receiving in with regards to family and, and close friends? Um, how did they take it? And, and how did you then use that support to then further use that motivation and, and pursue a different career? Yeah, I mean, the support structure was always there, you know, both my parents, you know, I got to give them credit for that, um, which was the whole reason for me going to uh, to the U.S. and being a student athlete. That's one thing that my dad was very strong, felt strongly about that, you know, I should not neglect my books. Hence, I didn't go uh, straight after matric while playing for, you know, Morocco Solis and their development structures. I could have easily gone to a national first division side or second division side and pursue the whole career. But my parents uh, well, felt strongly that I needed to have something to fall back on. And, you know, it's something that I'm very grateful now. You know, I mean, now I'm a 33-year-old and looking back, I could see how the education put me in good stead in terms of where I am right now. So the support structure is always there. And I think, you know, um, they accepted it a lot earlier than I did, I must say. Um, you know, when they saw that I was coming back and the phone calls weren't coming as much as before. Uh, in terms of, you know, being recruited by coaches and agents and all of that. So, you know, my parents, you know, were really uh, supportive in making sure that, you know, I focus on my books. And even while still at school, I still continued playing. But at that time, I knew what the whole goal was. I was just playing for fun, you know. And uh, even then, as a 22-year-old, still at varsity, I still had an opportunity to, uh, you know, to go play in the USA, the student games. And there, you're still seen by a lot of these scouts and coaches. And, you know, they're still whispering in the ear that, hey, you know, you're not that old. You can still come back into the game. But I think at that time, I'd already made up my mind that, you know what, I wanted to pursue this whole thing in sports uh, management and communication and take it full on. And, you know, it's so important, I think, at a young age for a lot of these young guys to sort of like, uh, when you've got a plan and you can see, just just grind on it and start believing. And I think that's what I did. If you can take us through, obviously you studied uh, sports management and you, you worked at UJFM and you've done all your small kind of internships. What kind yeah. of led to your first big gig? Um, what was what was the, oh, I mean, how did that, you know, transpire? What, what kind of went down? Yeah, man, you know, uh, I think they talk about, you know, just uh, being at the right place at the right time. So I came back from the U.S. around 2008. I did my first year at UJ 
And then 2009, the following year, that's when we had the Confederations Cup, FIFA Confederations Cup in South Africa. Um, I remember, you know, back in those days, you know, I didn't have a laptop and we still had to go to the student center and line up just to use a laptop and get into the internet. Bandwidth was so slow. I remember going there with a few of my classmates because the um, the volunteer process had been opened by FIFA and the local organizing committee. I promise you, man, we stood in that line for about three to four hours with a lot of my classmates. After that, man, there was only three of us left in line. Three of us actually submitted our application. The other guys just gave up because they had other important things to do. But, you know, this is where I think also just, you know, just the belief uh, that I have in God just really helped me out because it was as if like there was it's just a um, supernatural power just keeping me there because I remember, man, I was hungry, I was tired, I had tests to study for, but I just believe, man, that it's as if I knew this was going to be my big break. And, you know, fast forward, man, 2009, I got called up um, to be one of the media volunteers during the um, during the Football World Cup. And one of the assignments that I was given was actually mending the press conference area. So here I am as a young boy, uh, you know, I'm in the press conference area. You know, I'm setting up mics and putting, up, you know, all the stuff that's needed. You've got the likes of Kaka, Robino, uh, you know, I mean, Bafana Bafana at the time, you know, the likes of Tiko Mudisa were just really prime time at the time. And because I was so, I enjoyed writing, you know, so what I used to do was I would take voice recordings of these guys and, and write stories. You know, so sort of like write my own features. But at the time, I didn't even have a blog. So what I would do, the guy who was our boss at the time, a gentleman by the name of Altaf Kazi, he was the head of media and communication. And he was the guy that I reported to. So what I used to do was um, straight off the press conferences, I'd write, you know, feature pieces of all some of the captains and the teams, uh, coaches there. And I'd email it to him every day. And I was just doing this and saying to him, no, you could. And he used to work at the Premier Soccer League at the time. So I was like, hey, dude, you can use some of these stories for free. It's giving me, uh, you know, work experience because I'm literally learning exposure as well. So I remember the first day my feature got featured on Premier Soccer League website. I went crazy, bro. I went so crazy. I remember going back on campus and showing a lot of my mates the feature that I'd written um, on Bafana Bafana progressing to, you know, to, uh, to the last four of the Confederations Cup. I remember we, uh, that's where we missed out on... Um, Brazil, uh, Brazil beat us in the semifinals. But it was such a great experience, man. Um, and then straight after that, this guy gave me a call, man. He's like, dude, I just want you to come through to the Premier Soccer League offices. I just want to have coffee with you. You know, fast forward, he invites me for coffee. Only to when I get there, I realize it's actually my job interview with the CEO. You know, he tells the CEO, he's like, so this is the youngster I was telling you about, you know, it's got great energy, it's got some great ideas. And I mean, at this time, you must remember, uh, 2010, around that time, that's when social media was coming into the fall. So that's when my introduction of implementing social media came into the fall. So, but yeah, we'll get into that, I'm sure. But yeah, man, that's how my big break came, came through. And I mean, obviously being involved with like the, the world, the Confed Cup, I mean, that's like one of the most, I mean, it's basically the build up into the World Cup. So it's like almost like the most prestigious build up you can possibly be involved with. Man, I, I still say that's probably the best experience of my life, I must say, because it was the first international tournament I ever covered. And I went in there, man, not knowing what to expect, but we were so well prepared by the local organizing committee and just the euphoria around the country during that time. And you can still remember, it was an amazing experience. And would you say, um, obviously being a soccer player, um, that that's like the, the highest level where you can be at possibly as a soccer fan, um, that's not playing on the pitch, but you're involved behind the scenes. You kind of somehow making things tick along, but people don't know you, but you know that you're kind of part of that process. How does that make you feel? Because, you know, the media, media is always um, not overlooked. It's just that they don't get the face time. But um, how does that make you feel being a part of something that big on that scale? I think even at, a, at an early age, man, I, I knew this was bigger than me, you know, as an individual. So I just wanted to contribute towards the success of the football, uh, you know, FIFA World Cup coming to the African continent for the first time. So I grasped that very early. 
you know, just making sure that the little that I'm doing, just preparing media press conferences. And it was an honor for me, man, because you've got all these world stars, you know, coming guys that grew up watching on TV and they just right in front of me. You know, and it was such a big responsibility and something that I was very grateful for at the time. And I grasped the importance of it. And I took it very seriously and realized that, you know, in making sure that these press conferences run smoothly, that's my little contribution of contributing towards the success that ultimately led to the Football World Cup that came through in 2010 later. So after this, you get your, your call, you get to sit down with the CEO of the Premier um, Soccer League. What? Yeah. I don't even want to ask you what you felt because it must have been like an, a surreal feeling. Um, but what, what did you take into that as a youngster? You know, you've just had your big break um, working at Confed. What um, kind of attitude did you take going into that meeting? Not knowing that that was actually your interview at first, but kind of just yeah. the, the aftermath. I think that was actually a good thing, the fact that I didn't know it was a job interview because I just went in there, I was myself, you know? Um, and he asked me a few questions in terms of what uh, I would uh, like to see happen with the Premier Soccer League. And remember at this time, the CEO of the Premier Soccer League was a gentleman by the name of Shetel Siem. The Norwegian administrator is now with, the, with FIFA in Zurich. Uh, you know, he's a top administrator, learned a lot from him. Um, so I think it was a good thing, the fact that I didn't know it was an interview. I just went in there and I was myself having a conversation like I am with you right now. Uh, we was just asking me in terms of what uh, I see the Premier Soccer League going in the next two, three years. I mean, this is some of the things that I've been talking to my mates about in terms of what we'd like to see. So I'd already, so this is me as a youngster, I'd already started a Facebook and a Twitter account of the Premier Soccer League under my own email address. I'm running this out of my own accord. They don't even know that, you know, I've got so if there's games, I'm putting results because obviously I've seen it being done, you know, with the NBA, um, you know, with the MLS and all that stuff. So I was like, it was something that I enjoyed doing. So while I'm at home, you know, um, you know, on campus, if I'm watching game, I'd be, you know, just tweeting or posting about it. But it wasn't as vigorous as what we do now. It was at a smaller scale, but it was my introduction into the world of digital and social media at the time. And, you know, uh, so I started just talking about how social media is going to come into the fore. I'd bring that into play and communicate with the younger generation, because at the time I felt the Premier Soccer League had lost its market. And I'm busy just going on, man. And these guys are listening to me, you know. So fast forward, come to the end of the meeting. Uh, so they tell me they're like, hey, we've got an opening here for an intern. We don't know if you, you want to come through and intern and come through and uh, and work with us for the next three months. So this is what they went. Just remind you, I'm still a student. You know, I'm doing my second year. This is early 2010, you know. So I'm like, man. So I'm sitting at home. I go back home. I tell my, my parents about it. I'm like, hey, this is the situation. Because now, you know, there's some financial situation with regards to paying for my fees and all that stuff. So the challenge is big now. So I'm like, hey. Um, so I've got an opportunity. I can still juggle the two if I can, but I'm going to spend most of my time, you know, uh, at, at the office for three months. It's a great opportunity. It will be a great learning experience. Then I could use those three months as my work on experience and submit for my tutorials, you know. So, yeah, man, I had the support of my parents and three months turned into six months. Six months turned into another three years, man. And it was three beautiful years at the Premier Soccer League. Working there and kind of, you said this is like when social media was just starting to build its kind of um, reputation yeah. in, in the professional communication space. What was the, the reception um, when talking about social media to, to these big guys at, at the PSL? Um, what, what was their reception like? What did, how did they take it? And did they see the value in it immediately or did it kind of take uh, a bit of time to, to, to convince? Man, we, I encountered a lot of challenges because for a good six months, I think I ran the PSL social media account without them knowing that I was doing it. I remember sitting in meetings and people were seeing the reception, some of the comments that were coming through. They're like, this Facebook thing and Twitter thing is not a good thing because people are saying bad things about it. And I'm sitting there and they're like, we need to get to the bottom of this. We need to find out who's running this account. Dude, I'm sitting in that room and I'm thinking, dude, you know, I'm, 
I'm only here on a contract basis. I'm only here for about six months. If I come out and tell these guys I'm losing my job, I won't even get an opportunity. But as time went on, because I'm sitting inside the meetings, I'm taking a lot of what they're saying. I'm writing down notes in terms of how we communicate because I'd post stuff and I would not engage with the fans. So whenever they say bad things, I would never come back like what a community manager does now. I would just leave that and let the guys just rant and all that stuff. So they didn't like that because it put the Premier Soccer League in bad light, you know, and I wasn't as consistent as well. So at those early days, you know, as a youngster, I would start a game and then maybe straight after halftime, I'd go back and do whatever I'm doing. So the guys, you know, comments would come in like, why don't you finish the game? Because I'm at work. I'm, I can't watch the game, but I actually would like to know what the final score is. You know, you guys are not doing a great job. You need to inform your fans and all that stuff. So I ended up coming out to my boss. I'm like, hey, I just need to be honest with you. I understand if you guys are angry and you want to fire me. I just want to let you know that I'm actually the guy who started these accounts, um, you know, and man, the support I got from my boss at the time, because he could see into the future in terms of where communication was going. And he could see the passion in terms of, you know, when I would talk about social media and all these things. And he was like, do you feel comfortable running these things? I was like, I'm very comfortable. You know, if I if I could be given the resources and, you know, at the time, I remember there was um, the intro of, you know, iPhone coming into the space. I really wanted the iPhone. So he's like, please just write down all the stuff that you need for you to be able to, you know, to carry out the duties. Man, I ended up adding an iPad into that mix, man. I ended up getting the best of the best. And that's how the social media space uh, and the Premier Soccer League came into the fold. But, you know, what? it opened the door, but I realized it was my introduction into the bigger space. And I realized at an early, at the early stage, that I need to cover the niche for myself because there'll be younger guys coming through and they will know more than I, I did. And what I ended up doing was, you know, after doing that, I didn't want to be seen as the social media guy. I wanted to see myself. I wanted people to see me as a communication expert. So while doing that, I'll still venture out into doing hosting press, uh, press conferences and actually doing websites and really engaging with executive members so that they could see my, um, you know, in terms of my contribution is beyond social media. And I think that's where I was able to sort of like cover out a niche for myself in moving away from the social and digital media space into executive positions that I've had the opportunity to get into. And then um, going from, from PSL communication manager, um, how did you then, how did the, the super sport gig come about? Was it kind of you looking or... Or did they approach you? Did they see the work you were doing and kind of try to pick you up? Yeah. So at the Premier Soccer League, I was a communications officer. Yeah. So um, so as a communications officer, um, I interacted, as I said, I interacted a lot with the CEOs of the various clubs. And one of the CEOs that I interacted with was, um, you know, a gentleman by the name of Stan Matthews from uh, Supersport United. And he wanted to get into the social media space. He really he was big on it because you could see, you know, Supersport is struggling in terms of attaining fans and attendance at games. But he wanted to enter the digital space because Supersport International, the world of champions, they were already doing that. But at the football club, they were lagging behind. So, you know, we had conversations and I realized, you know, with the Premier Soccer League, I'd been there for about three years and it wasn't a mad matter of I was disgruntled or anything. I just realized in order for me, um, to take my career to the next level and also get experience of working in other areas and other and other organization. I needed to leave my comfort space, you know, because I could have still been at the Premier Soccer League because a lot of the guys that I started with as interns, even some of the guys I recruited are still there, but they still have the same positions. So I took a leap of faith. And I was like, you know what? Um, you know, the organization was not might not be as big at the Premier Soccer League, but for my own professional growth, I needed to just take a leap of faith and go start something out. And they had nothing going on there. And that's when we came up with the campaign uh, that was Schema Matsatsansa, which is what the, the theme was. The campaign was that we're not going to take away the many fans that Kaiser Chiefs, Orlando Pirates and Mamilodi Sundowns have. But what we were saying to the fans is that if your Mamilodi Sundowns or your Kaiser Chiefs is not playing, come be a friend of Supersport United. We ran that campaign. It was very successful, man. Um, and that's when, you know, the whole hashtag thing was growing. I mean, that's around 2013. 
we started with that schema Matsatsanta it gained a lot of traction on social media and people just how the, we branded uh, the football club you know I got to sit in executive meetings with the CEO in terms of recruiting players and one of the things that we wanted to do at Supersport at the time was recruit a lot of the white players I don't know if you still remember there was a time when Supersport United around 2013 we had close to about five white football players at the club, we had Jeremy Brocky, we had Dean Furman, at Bradley Krobler, Michael Boxel, Michael Morton, you can name. We just had a, a whole lot of those guys. But what we did with them is that, you know, we saw that as a way of tapping into the white community in South Africa because a lot of the white guys grew up playing football. I'm actually doing uh, my research right now uh, on uh, the decline of white football players. So that's why I'm like so passionate about this because it's something that, you know, we started way back then and we saw the success of it. Obviously on social media, you might not have seen the bombs on seats, but on social media, um, you know, we went from not having a social media account to being a number two in terms of the most followed football teams at the time that I left with only Kaiser Chiefs ahead of us at the time when I left, it was 2016. So the three years I spent yeah yeah definitely yeah but because you see it how all the other football teams it's only starting out now how they started taking the digital space very seriously but we just started it you know way back um you know in early 2013 when i started and you know we've put in some great work there and obviously they still have some fantastic guys working there now man who's taken over the torch and they're running with it right now would you say the, the, the way that you are kind of looked at, as you said, you didn't want to be seen as the social media guy, like just the guy that does Facebook kind of thing. Did that kind of help you gain that, um, you know, that's, I don't want to say a credit, the credibility, but it kind of made you bigger than the role. Because like you said, you were working on recruiting certain players, like you were involved with that conversation. So do you think that yeah. risk that you took kind of just help build your character and your credibility as as your as a person yeah it definitely played a big role man because i wanted to distinguish myself early on man i wanted to make sure that i'm not only perceived as a sports communication individual first and foremost i'm a sports administrator and i think that's why you know even now you know my career i'm taking it to a level where it's like i've moved away from being known as a football guy and you and i had that chat when we yeah. first met you know Hence, you know, I ventured into basketball and now finding myself with cricket. It was always my aim because I've always wanted to be an elite sports administrator because I grew up playing a lot of sports, you know. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but football was never my number one uh, sporting code growing, growing up. up. It just, it so, just happened so happened growing, growing up, up in a township, I was exposed to football and I ended up being a better football player. But, you know, starting going to multiracial schools and all of that, I fell in love with the game of cricket. I fell in love with basketball. And that's where, you know, I started realizing that, you know what, as soon as I get older and I can, you know, get a bit of money, I want to start playing these other sporting codes. Hence, I started playing, engaging in a lot of sports like, you know, obviously cricket, but now golf. You know, and I mean, there's other sports you could more and I want to get into mountain biking now, you know. And as you know, those kind of sports are not cheap, but I want to yeah. be an all-round sports administrator, you know, seeing myself when I start getting into the 40s, hopefully being a sports uh, director or CEO of one of sports organizations in the country. And I think that's a, that's a dream that I can still attain at this stage. Obviously, you, you work, and th this comes back to kind of being versatile and trying to separate yourself from everyone else. Did you ever see yourself um, being involved with cricket um, as you were progressing through the ranks from your, let's say, when you just started off at Supersport? Did you ever think that's where I kind of want to see myself going? Oh, man, that was, you know, um, at the time, because, you know, I wasn't married, I was still young. Um, I got, you know, the, the, the cricket space was such an enticing one because obviously of the perks of traveling to other international countries. I remember me speaking with a lot of my peers who were at the Premier Soccer League and other football clubs. You're like, man, can you imagine, you know, being a Proteus team media manager, you're in Australia for three months, you move from Australia, you go to the UK and the Caribbean. So it was very enticing, man, but I never saw it for myself. And I always thought like, you know, to get into the Premier, uh, to Cricket South Africa, 
it would be so difficult because they already have such an, a great team under the stable. Because I used to follow the ladies who were working there, you know, the media manager um, who became good friends of mine now, you know what I mean? I used to follow them on social media platform. I'd be like, man, they live in the dream, you know, even though like in my own space, we were traveling, but we traveling to other African countries. And if you've been in the football space, man, traveling on the African continent, it can be the most challenging thing. But I mean, those are the experiences that make me worthwhile and make you the man that you are today, you know. So um, those experiences put me in good stead now, moving away from, you know, uh, from football to the short stint that I had with basketball. Because when with basketball, they were so entrenched on the African continent. And, you know, having traveled to all these different African countries at Supersport United during the Confederations Cup, it just put me in good stead because when I got exposed to that on the basketball space, it was so easy for me to interact with guys from Senegal, from Cameroon, from East African countries like Rwanda, Kenya and Uganda. And it was just a great experience, man. And it's something that I'm forever grateful for because it prepared me for where I am right now. And moving on to, to your next um and your current uh, job, how did that yeah. come about? Yeah. You literally like at the top level. How, how does one, how do you kind of process it mentally firstly as an individual to realize, yeah. you know, th- this is the pro tiers. I mean, yeah. how, how, yeah, how, how do you take that in and how did that come about? Man, that came about, uh, as I told you, man, the, the great success we had uh, with that Schema Matatanza campaign. So the guys from Cricket Safkin is a position for a content manager. Uh, to come into that space. I got a call, man, from uh, from the recruiting agency. And they asked me, like, hey, I don't know you guys, you are aware that Cricket South Africa has got a position for a content manager coming up. Your name has been coming through quite a lot, uh, but we haven't seen your CV. So I was like, no, nah, I didn't even know about it, man, you know? But you can understand the shock. I'm like, wow, these guys, I didn't even know about it. they find out. So I took a leap of faith yet again, man. I was like, man, this is a great opportunity. And I mean, as a content manager, I sort of like a lot of people would have seen it as, dude, aren't you taking a step back because you're going from being a communication manager of a football club. Now you're going back to being a content manager. But, you know, being the man that I am, man, I just saw it as a great opportunity to just get into that space. And then I work my way up, you know. Um, and yeah, fast forward, man, I managed to, to get a call went through the interview process and I was actually elated, man, when they called me back to tell me that I actually got the gig. You know, I was very excited, man. So I started out as a content manager reporting to the same guy that had recorded me at the Premier Soccer League out of Kazi. So he was the head of comms. So he was very integral in making sure that I get in, you know? So he was one of the guys with the CEO and the HR execs that interviewed me. And he didn't even ask me a question during the interview process. You know, his only comment was to the to the to the panel, "What I've worked with this man. I know what he brings to the table. So I'm not even gonna ask any question, man. If you if you wanna talk about affirmation, that was it right there, man. From someone who's gone. I mean, he's um, he's done so many outstanding things in his career. He's gone on to do bigger things now with South African tourism." You see the communication stuff that they're sending out. A lot of the stuff they're doing on social media. Man, you know, that's a guy who's my mentor and someone that I've learned a lot and I've modeled my career around, um, you know, so it was it was just a great, a great ride working with him, even though it was short lived uh, because he ended up leaving. And as soon as he left, I'm coming into that space. You've got people who have been there for a minute and I get asked to get into that acting role of the head of communication, literally less than six months into the business, you know, so did that acting role, which was supposed to be for about three months, uh, ended up doing it for about 18 months, which was crazy, man, you know, because I'm sure you've seen some of the challenges we went through during that period, you know, during that space. But, you know, we've got into a space now where we're gaining the confidence of the public. You know, we've got a new CEO uh, on the floor now who's really come into, into the space and giving a great direction in terms of where he wants us to go. And the rest of the team, man, we're just jumping on the bus, heading into the next Cricket World Cup that we're hoping to win. And like you say, there was a, a bit of a phase there where the Proteus kind of went through a bit of a patch. How does, yeah. um, and obviously you being so involved with the player, because you're kind of the middleman between player and the public. How do you Correct. kind of, how do you deal with that? Because it's it's a lot of pressure to to take in 
because ultimately you portray the image to the, the public. So can you maybe just take us through kind of the challenges that come along with that? Yeah, man. I mean, we, you know, with us being, being, being based in the office and then you've got the team as well, who've got their own objectives in terms of how they'd like to be portrayed. Because we'll come up with this whole strategy plan in terms of how we want the national team to be perceived. But you need to immerse yourself within the culture of the team because that culture has been there over the years and you just, you can't come in, you know, and say, hey, I'm a communication expert. I think this is the direction that we need to do, we need to go. It was very important to immerse ourselves within the culture. And, um, you know, and I think that paved the way in managing us having such a great relationship with the players and the coaching staff. And I think that's what's happening now, what you're seeing, having somebody like Graham Smith coming in as a, as a director of cricket, you know, just making sure that we, we portray that uh, protea fire that we've been preaching over the years, because that's the culture that is within the space. And it is very important for someone like me coming from a background of basketball and football to come into that space instead of implementing what I think should be the way things are done. Talk about the first year and a half to really understand what the lay of the land was. Never had much time to do that, to be honest, because of some of the challenges that were happening on a, you know, an administrative level, governance level. So it was so difficult at the early stages, but it's only coming to the fore now where we're starting to gain credibility and which is very important coming up, you know, as I said, with the new management that came into the fore and trying to build a brand uh, that will be authentically South African. Hence the introduction of the Mzansi Super League, which was something that I was very heavily involved with and something that I think really allowed me to stake my claim within the space of cricket. And just going back with, um, you, like you said, you didn't have much time to kind of get, you know, gain your, 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 your footing and your stability. You were kind of just yeah. thrown in. And obviously yeah. the Proteus being, I mean, the, the biggest team in the world. Um, what would you say going into that role and then obviously you're dealing with the elite players, like these are players who are worshipped by fans. Did you have a moment where you kind of had to just stop and just take in that you are kind of surrounded by greatness in a way? Uh, how did you manage to kind of just come to terms with that? Man, it just goes back to experience, you know. Um, and I think this is where I'm so much grateful for the experience of having worked in the early stages of the Confederations Cup. Because if you look at it in terms of, you know, in terms of some of the players I had to work with, yes, I might not have been directly involved with the likes of Rubino and Kaka and all those guys, but those guys were household names in their own right. And the respect that they offered me as a young 22-year-old, as a volunteer at that time, I took that experience and making sure, and this is one of the, the advice that I always give a lot of interns who come in, and you know, want to be mentored and want to get a feel of what we do, is that never see, you know, the players as these world class and stars and whatnot. You gotta see them as your peers, you know, and that is very important because if you're gonna get into that space and you wanna take a picture with the Timba Pavuma every five minutes, the next time you have to call Timba Pavuma and ask him to be at the SABC at nine o'clock, you know, he's not gonna have the same respect for you. Because he's going to be like, oh, that's the same guy that wanted a picture. So he can easily come back to you and say, ah, you know what? I'm actually not feeling that, man. You know, I just want to spend time with my family. But if you just keep it professional from the word go, it puts you in good state and manages that relationship going forward. So it was very important for me to get into that space and have these guys see me as their peer and a professional in that space. And not come in there and be like, oh, you know, just get overwhelmed by the fact that, you know, I'm sitting next to a guy who scored 100 against Australia and went on to be man of the series and all of that. And it was very important just getting there, be humble, which is something that I always stress to a lot of these young guys coming into our space right now. Is that just be humble, man. And I think just that character will carry you through in your work. And, and funny you say that because I was just going through um, some old... Uh, files of mine from like 2017 so when I was doing my honors and yeah. I was going through some of my iPhone files and I was like looking at the the essay open when McElroy came and yeah. I was just going through like back then I wasn't even a photographer I didn't have any like pro gear I just had an iPhone yeah and I'm out there just like snapping pics and and taking videos but like back then you you with the crowd so it's like all this like trashy looking stuff you know like trying to get a view and I just like sat back and I was like, you know, 
I actually just managed the SA Open earlier this year. And it's like crazy, like to, to see that vision kind of, I'd never thought I'd see myself where I am right now. And I'm, yeah. like you say, it's kind of just being humble because you're with all these top class players, but not once did I ever think, um, you know, let me grab a selfie with you or, or anything to that fact. But when you sit back and you just like reflect, it's just crazy to see yeah. how far like you've come over the years and now that, you know, you look at these old pictures, you're just like, wow, this is just, it's almost like surreal in a way. No, man, because you realize that, and that's why I always say it brings me back to, to, to what I share with my wife most of the time is that God prepared me in my early stages when I didn't even know where I'd be 10 years from now. And I think it was the same for you with the SA Open in 2017 at Landauer. You didn't know that you'd be at the position where you were literally managing the digital space of the SA Open. And, you know, fast forward, you did such an amazing job come this year when I met you and your team. And I mean, I mentioned it to you, you know, where I saw the amount of stuff that you guys were doing. I just admired the creativity that you guys came up with. And it's something that I'm always learning as well. You know, I learned so much from what you guys were doing, you know, with some of the latest gear that you have, because we've got the luxury of having millions of South Africans following us. So sometimes it's very easy to think the little that we're doing because it's getting a lot of likes. We think, oh, OK, we're actually doing a good job. But, you know, just being exposed to what you guys are doing because of the numbers that you guys have, you guys have to do far more and beyond what we normally do to get the traction. And I mean, I remember going back to the office, I was like, man, I think we need to have, you know, like a community manager who's going to be on the ground. Because at the moment, we've got guys managing, doing our ball by ball. They're doing it remotely. You know, they've got big screens. Yes, we've got state-of-the-art stuff at our office where guys have got big screens. You've got guys who are checking out the sentiments and all that stuff. But it's very important to have somebody on the ground, man, because there's nothing as authentic and seeing it live. I mean, we've got the second biggest sporting uh, event in the country, which is the Pink Day. I mean, we've created that product into becoming one of the biggest sporting events this country has ever seen. And it's a product that we're very proud of. And, you know, we're just getting ideas in terms of how we can just amplify that product and take it to the next level, like the Sevens do with the rugby in Cape Town. And now that you, you with Cricket South Africa, can you maybe just describe the, the, the team that you work with and kind of what, like yeah. you say, you have, you have a lot of resources. Obviously, this is now the biggest... Um, one of the biggest teams in the world. What kind of yeah. resources are you able to tap into and what, what various uh, team members do you have at your disposal? Can you maybe just tell us yeah, a little so, bit about that? Um, obviously, so as I mentioned, uh, my acting role came to an end uh, last year, September. Uh, so we've got a head of communications and then you've got three media managers. So you've got myself, I've got two other colleagues of mine who are media managers and the three media managers manage the national team everything executive level at the office that's happening and the pro tiers women along with the under 19 cricket team uh, and then we've got obviously our internal communications head and we also have a social media digital team which is outsourced so we've got a company that runs our our digital space they do a phenomenal job man these guys are industry powerhouse you know, they, they do a lot of stuff with the Premier Soccer League. They do a lot of stuff with the rugby guys for Super for super Rugby and Super Sport as well. So these we consider these guys some of the best in the business. And these are the guys that, you know, we, um, we, we, we work with. And we've helped them as well, the digital company. They've actually tapped into some of the interns that we've had at our stable. Because it's very important, you know, unlike any other sports, like I always say, it's very easy to move from golf, from cricket, and going to football or rugby than to move from those two particular sporting codes into cricket or golf because it's so technical. You know, try to explain Duckworth Lewis to someone who's never played the game of cricket. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they've tapped... <laughs> they'll never, man. So they've tapped into a lot of our talent, a lot of the guys that we groomed. And it's something that I'm very proud of, especially the internship program, because I came through something like that. And we've managed to, um, you know, cover our careers for a lot of the young guys who've gone on to work in other sporting codes. And speaking on interns, I mean, it's obviously a... You know, there's this perception, you know, you spend four or five years studying, you get your honors, maybe you, you haven't done an internship yet and you feel yeah. kind of entitled to being put into the top job, like straight out of varsity. 
What, yeah. What's your advice to kind of students who are, are currently grinding it out? Maybe their third, third year, final year of, of their, their, um, their degree. How should they approach yeah. um, getting into to the professional workspace? What kind of steps should they take? Um, and the, the advice I give a lot of the youngsters is that you need to start working while you're still at school. You know, and I'm talking from my own experience, obviously, you know, I saw what that did for me as compared to some of my peers that I was in class with. I mean, I remember just being in class and I'd still be thinking, you know, I need to go to Orlando Stadium and cover the Orlando Pirates game against IX Cape Town, for example. While doing that, while studying, I was still working, getting to understand what the industry is like and meeting people. And that's what enabled me to get to a stage where I am because while in school, I was still interacting with industry leaders and industry heads and people knew about me. By the time I was already in the industry, I already had a network of people and the credibility that I've garnered over the years put me in good stead. So when you're sitting in boardrooms, they already know who Shannon Naidu is, you know, because they've seen you grind it out in the early stages of your career when no one was there, when there was no all these, um, you know, these glamorous stuff that are happening now where you get to travel all over the country. I still remember take you back when I started out and I think this is what enabled me to stay long at the Premier Soccer League is that during that period, um, within the communication space, a lot of the guys didn't want to travel to the north of the country, to Limpopo or to the east in Pumalanga because it's not like Cape Town, it's not like Durban and all those other, not at all. So I remember I thought to myself, hey, I think this is such a great opportunity for me to, co to cover a lot of the teams there. So whenever we'd have our status meetings and then there'd be a game that needs to be covered, let's say in Limpopo, uh, where you had Pulukwane City, you had Black Leopards. I mean, these are places that people don't really want to go to. I'd always put up my hand and say, you know what, I want to go there. And going to those places where nobody wanted to go allowed me to harness my craft. It allowed me to make mistakes. It allowed me to grow and meet a lot of people who are industry leaders right now because those guys still remember me from back in those days being the only journalist with my laptop, getting lost. We didn't have GPS at those times on our phones. So this is just the young me just driving around, getting lost, getting to the game. Five minutes, the game has already started. I'm there rushing. Connectivity is bad. I have to rush back to the hotel. But those things and a lot of the people saw my struggle then. You know, so when they see me where I am right now, they're not, uh, they're not surprised. But at the same time, the advice I'd give you is that don't frown upon these small opportunities that are out there because there's no crowd, there's no one watching. But that's the time that you can use to harness your skill. Don't say you're going to start grinding when you get that big opportunity because that's going to be too late by then. And, and obviously, I think that's kind of the, the main thing is that, and I think it also comes just down to the way you, you are brought up. You know, if you kind of have things served to you on a platter, you kind of expect that at that at that level as well. But like you say, when you kind of been waiting for something, you see the opportunity in every single, even if it's the tiniest, like you say, you're the only guy going there. You saw the opportunity because the CEO of that, of that team will say, you know, there was coverage from one person and they'll see that it was you. They kind of see the value in that. And it's still important as well to harness yourself. And, and this is what I'm doing. So, you know, I've got a lot of these young guys who are coming into the fall. I've only got a sports management diploma. So I've gone back to school now, you know, to, to convert my diploma into a degree and get do my master's. So I've started doing my research, which is what I was telling you about. And I'm getting back to school because I realized, you know, yes, I might have the experience, but in order to get those big executive positions, you know, I'll be competing against guys who've got, you know, uh, who've got their, their masters or their honors. And like, and they, most of the time, the CEO positions, like, uh, um, you know, you, they recruit guys who've got legal background or come from a finance background and all of that. And you find guys who might have studied something else, they think you can't be able to do that job. So it's very important for me to develop myself as well and take it seriously and have a negational background so that whenever an opportunity comes up to start applying for these big executive positions, you know, my application will not be frowned upon because of qualification. So it's still very important to make sure that you get your qualification while you're still working and really putting your name out there. And would you say the, the space you're in right now, um, are you kind of very settled in like this? You want to see yourself kind of hold this out for, for a bit longer? Yeah, man, I think, um, you know, I've got a young family, as you and I might have spoken. I mean, I've got a five-year-old 
and my wife and I just recently be blessed, you know, with another boy who's three months now. So we've got a young family. So I'm open to to moving overseas. Um, you know, I've 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 uh, had a great time, and you know, living in the U.S. and it's something that I've always admired. Uh, you know, the sporting codes and how they cover sport. So it's something that I've I've started looking into. Uh, you know, just hopefully moving internationally. If that's what God wants for me, man. You know, I'm trusting God for that. And really putting myself out there to say, you know what, um, you know, should an opportunity present itself, uh, I've got a wife who's very supportive, who's open to packing up her bags and starting a new life elsewhere. You know, I think the older we get and the more you travel, you start seeing that there's nothing different from what we do to guys who are doing internationally. You know, recently just coming back from New Zealand, you know, I just realized how the Kiwi, the Kiwis admire a lot of the stuff that we do. On the digital media space, and here I was coming hard on ourselves and the rest of my team, thinking, "Nah, man, we need to do more. You know, we're not doing more." But you got these guys that we look up to. We think, you know, because you've got this distorted view that everything is always better outside of South Africa. You know, yeah, but you have no idea how many South Africans are out there who are leading the the you know the digital media space, and these are guys who harness their skills right here at home. You know, so that's why I started thinking. You know what? Should opportunity present itself internationally, I'll uh, gladly jump at that opportunity. And I think that's where my thinking is at right now. And just going to to current um, environment, working with with these big players, um, and they obviously have big brands um, individually. Who would you yeah. say is your kind of the the most social media savvy pro tier player? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or more yeah. kind of like in in tune with the idea of social media and giving the audience what they want. Um, sure, that's a that's a bit of a tough one, but I'd say at the moment, a player like Buren Hendricks is someone that comes to mind. Um, I know he's obviously not one of the guys on national contracted players, but he's someone that's social media savvy, a guy that's you know that's willing to engage with 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 supporters, and I remember. You know, if I could go back uh, during my stint with Supersport United, I remember every season would, you know, would uh, obviously give the players just a refresher in terms of social media engagements and how they do things. And I remember how some of the players that I see now who are on TikTok, football players, but, you know, they frowned upon the whole social media space. But these are the guys who are doing the same stuff that I told them to do back then. I'm like, you need to engage with supporters. You need to really start, you know, give yourself about an hour of your time because professional players have got a lot of time in their hands you know so i used to say guys give yourself about one hour in a day to engage with your supporters because another thing you need to realize is that you need to start thinking about life after sport so if you're going to start now while you're 34 and you want to start you know getting to the social media space you might not have that opportunity because by that time you've got kids you've got all this other stuff but you need to start while you're still early so that the fan base grows with you. And I think you're starting to see that right now where you've got guys like Bjorn Hendricks, Rassi van der Dissen, um, Timba Pavuma as well. Guys who are really savvy. You know, I think the higher you go, the more popular you go, then you start getting endorsements and you know being in the space. Then your social media, it's not really your own space. It's sort of like taken by the commercial property that is you. And it, it's that's where now, that's the challenge that we're dealing with right now because the social media space is so commercialized that it's very difficult to get a player to just post anything and everything. You find that the agent is telling them what to post, what not to post, you know. Yeah, so that's the challenge that, you know, you and I are probably facing in our space right now, you know, where you don't really see that authentic, uh, you know, uh, thing coming out in terms of guys posting their own content. It's more like guys are posting what the sponsors are feeding them, what they would like, how they would like to be perceived, you know. But I think you see it a lot with a lot of the American athletes, you know, on social media in terms of how they do things, man. You know, uh, there's quite a lot of guys that I follow on social media. Uh, and I mean, I look at their stuff and I see, you know, you look at guy like Jewel Embiid. He's someone that I enjoy following who plays for the Philadelphia 76ers. Very interactive, engages with his fans. Um, you know, so those are the kind of stuff that you look for, but you don't get that quite a lot locally. You know what I mean? It's far in between. And with that being said, what, what do you think is the main reason for that? Is it because we haven't 
fully integrated into that online space yet or is it just I don't want to say laziness, but it's just we don't see it as an important thing to do right now. Is that kind of the way you see it? Yeah, you still have a distorted view, you know, and especially, you know, because you need to understand it's just like you and I. So if you've got your life at work and you've got a life at home. So a lot of the guys are very skeptical to opening themselves up to the public and you have to respect that. Not everyone is going to be a Julian Bead. Not everyone is going to be a Ben Simmons and really open their lives up to the entire public. So you have to respect when a player says, you know what, my private life and my family, that's my own space. You know, but one guy who's really savvy within the project space is a guy like Dale Stain. You look at Dale Stain, if you follow Dale Stain, you kind of get the feel by the time you meet him, you know the kind of person that he is. You know what I mean? But that is years and years of experience. And the guy you sort of like see in his 30s, he sort of like got into himself, into his own. He understands who he is now. So he's not a guy that uh, agent or, uh, you know, uh, communication head like KK is going to dictate of how he runs his account. Man, the guy has achieved everything that he's wanted to achieve. He's, he's a Hall of Famer in the game of cricket, you know. So, but when you look at his social media platform, you know, it's so relatable. You know what I mean? He'll go out fishing with his mates and he posts just a lot of interactive stuff where fans are just engaging. And he's got a huge following in India. You know, a lot of the guys that play in the IPL, man, they've got a... If you look at the guys within the Proteus space that have a lot of followers, it's usually the guys who uh, uh, apply their trade in the Indian Premier League. And, it, you know, it comes back to kind of what we were talking about of when you look at, you know, what we do as South Africans, we always kind of... We, we're very hard on ourselves. Um, and I think it's just because the perception is, like you said, always looks green on the other side. And yeah. I don't know, I think it's just a bad habit that we need to kind of just kick out a little bit because it kind of hinders us from growing because we're just so bent on trying to be like other people. It's about being patriotic, I guess, man, you know? It's about being patriotic and realizing, not looking down on, on ourselves, but not looking down on your country. You know, we've got some of the best industry leaders in, in sports, man. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I've obviously, I've immersed myself in the game of golf right now. Look at the stuff that you guys are doing with the Sunshine Tour. You know, it's and you compare it with the, what the guys are doing in the Asia Tour. You know, it's like you look at it, you're like, man, the guys in the Sunshine Tour are killing it, you know? But we've got this distorted view that, no, oh, no, everything in Australia is better. Everything and you look at the property, which is the Premier Soccer League, for example, the guys at the PSL go back to this. These guys have got the most successful football league on the continent amongst the best in the world because of the work that they're doing, you know. But we're so quick to look at the product that we see on TV. We're so hard on ourselves. So we'd rather look at the English Premier League and say, ah, oh, the English Premier League is better, uh, the football. But the product will not be better if we don't invest in it. If we're not proud of what we're doing, you know, it's not going to be get that global traction because we're not putting it out there. Why is the SO Open one of the top uh, tournaments on the European tour? It's because of the coverage and the importance that we look at it because we view it as one of the oldest golfing tournaments in the world because we give it that prestige. So the international market look at it that way. And we look at it that way. So it starts here at home and it starts within us. You know, we look at the approaches, for example, I'll make an example. You came to me and said, oh man, the approaches are the best in the world. We currently ranked fifth in test cricket. We ranked third in T20s. We ranked fifth again in one day internationals. We're not actually number one. But in your space, you look at the approaches, you're like, they're the best in the world. Because you believe it. And it's like people start believing in that, you know, and I think it's going to start like that with other sporting codes as well, you know, and I think we need to start seeing ourselves in that light. And then just coming your professional um, opinion, where do you think um, online, where should one, let's, let's speak to the athletes. I think this is where kind of they need to, to grasp on our experience and knowledge kind of thing. Where do you think, athletes during this time especially during lockdown where there's no sports taking place there's nothing taking place what should they be spending their time on and what what can they do to better their brand if that's what they want to do what do you think they should be engaging with and what should they be putting out there yeah uh, i actually said this during uh, one of our status meetings and i said you know what because what puts bread on the table 
is your profession itself. So during this lockdown, you know, it's, this is not the time to start building your brand because there's no you without your profession. So athletes right now should be grinding because there's not much you can do. And so you can't start now saying, you know, I want to look at my social media property and neglect what puts food on the table. So your craft right now, you know, social media is not going anywhere. But time is ticking in terms of your career. And athletes, professional athletes have limited time. So when I engage with the player and the first thing he says to me, he says, KK, you're tempering with my gym time. I quickly step back. Because that is very important. That's his first and foremost most important thing. So I think this is the right time for them to just harness their craft. You know, just put in the amount of work. So if you haven't been spending time in the gym, this is the time to do it. And, you know, this is the thing that I was actually engaging uh, with uh, with one of the, the my team members. And one of the another football players, a good friend of mine, I won't mention his name. And I was saying that to him. I was like, this is not the time for you to be. Yes, you can do TikTok in your spare, in your spare time and all of that. But right now, this is the time where you really need to focus on your career because tomorrow is not promised. We don't even know when we're getting back onto the field of play. We don't even know when we're getting back on the golf course and all of that. So, But nothing is stopping you from making sure that by the time the green light is there, you're ready to go. And then you can start, you know, because the social media space is commercialized, as we said earlier. There's so much that you can do and you can get extra revenue with just your social media platform. What would you say is... Um because so obviously when you work with um the the line of players that you work with and like i work with some of the top golfers in the country and sometimes when you have the europeans over you know you you you're still a fan you know that's something that you need to kind of just go back to and be like oh i'm still i'm actually a fan of golf you know when you sit down and watch a european tour and when you sit down and watch um australia versus new zealand so as a fan what would you say after being involved with all of the, the background, you know, the behind the scenes, what would you want to see from a player that you look up to kind of, what would you want them to be putting out social media wise that kind of just fills you in a little bit more and gives you a bit more, I don't want to say behind the scenes look, but kind of just informs you a bit better as a fan. Oh man, I always think of it. Whenever I think of a fan, I always take myself 15 years back when I was a 15-year-old sitting at home watching TV and reading magazines, what I wanted to see. I remember there was a feature um, that the Kickoff magazine used to have. It was called Players Overseas. Man, I remember I used to get a kick in looking at football players in terms of what they're doing outside of football, you know. And that's where I always think back to. So I think right now as a fan looking back, it's like if I'm sitting at home, I want to see what um you know a player like lebron james is doing outside of the basketball i know he's one of the hardest working uh basketball players in the world i know rory McIlroy is one of the hardest working um you know golf players in the world you just look at his physique you know the guy's grinding in the gym but i'm more interested to see what does he do in his spare time you know what i mean like i'm more interested in terms of other interests outside of golf because we get to see so much if i want to see rory McIlroy play golf I mean, I just go on YouTube, I just see some of his best highlights. You know what I'm saying? But I'm more interested in seeing what does he do outside of the game and what kind of person that he is. And I think that's where a lot of those athletes, it's like, you know, you want them to go into that space. But as I mentioned earlier, not everyone is very comfortable with showcasing. And that's very important. It needs to be authentic. And that's why I always say to you guys, if you're really uncomfortable, don't do it. I mean, I remember I was working with one football player who plays for Bafana Bafana, one of the most revered football players in the country as you speak right now. Had a chat with him, a good mate of mine. The guy's just not comfortable in front of the camera. He's not comfortable in front of the camera just doing interviews. You know, we had to work with him. So just imagine if he had to turn a camera on himself at home in his own space. Man, it would be a disastrous. You know, so he's a guy, he's on social media. The only thing he'll post, he'll post action pictures of himself. That's it. You'll never see him posting pictures you know, him wearing other sporting brands besides, you know, his playing kid. Because it's just not in his personality. And I think it's always better as fans when we see something that is generally the authentic. If you love fishing and that's what you do, I want to see, man. I want to get a kick of seeing you, you know, 
catch something. For example, you know, if you if you're a guy that loves singing or you play the guitar, I want to see you chilling at home playing guitar and all that stuff. You know, maybe karaoke or something. That's the kind of stuff. But it genuinely needs to be authentic, man. And that's I think what we fans would love to see. Hundred percent. And KK, just in closing, um, you know, this this podcast was kind of built on the idea of giving people the knowledge from people who view themselves as successful in their, in their craft. And I think, and this is why I actually contacted you is because when we had that chat at SA open, there was just, you know, when you, you speak to someone who's on the same wavelength where this is not just a job, it's kind of passion. Um, yeah. We, we, or what can you say to, and we, we've had this, this topic already, but, if there's a child out there or a kid out there, 15 years old to 40 year old guy, what can you, or lady, um, what can you say to them um, about pursuing online media, especially now in a time like this where online, on, everything is online. What can you say to them to kind of just give them some, some advice into pursuing a career in this space? Man, I think one of the things that I could do, uh, could give advice on is just to have a teachable approach. Because our space, and you know this, man, it's an ever-changing space. I'm telling you, I'm still learning right now as I speak to you right now. I mean, only a few months ago, I was learning about TikTok. And you think when it came out, I would have jumped on it. But I thought it would never take off as much as it did. Because I saw a few other international athletes looking at it. I was like, nah, there's no way that it was going to take off. But look what COVID-19 has led to. Because people are sitting at home now. People want to you know, entertain themselves and do other stuff. So you even find even more people now on it. So that's why, that's one, one of the biggest advice I'd give someone. Just have a teachable approach if you want to get into the space. Don't get into the space thinking you know everything. You know, you might have the biggest qualifications or the highest qualifications in this space itself, but you never stop learning because there'll always be someone who's fresher than you. There'll always be someone with more innovative ideas than you. So having a teachable approach will definitely put you in good stead in longevity within the space that we're in. And, and lastly, just one more question. Um, you're quite uh, a religious um, person. You, you, I mean, you value religion and, and that comes from the way we talk because I feel the same yeah. way. How much has that kind of played a role in, and also having a wife, how much has that played a role in kind of just shaping you as a man and in your, your space, building a career? Oh man, this is something that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about, man. You know, um, you know, as Romans one sixteen says, I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, it's something that I've taken with me since the day I started, because that's first and foremost, that's who I am, you know. And I feel like, you know, just putting it out there, not just putting it aside. This is who I am, man, and I can't pretend to be something that I'm not. But it has done wonders for me, man. Just having that relationship with my Lord and Savior has allowed me to, when I'm faced difficulty, I've got a sacred place to go to where I can find comfort and I can find guidance. And also you mentioned, um, I got married really young, man, you know, and that really gave me stability and my wife's impact in my life and in my career has been immense. We've been together since uh, my days at varsity, man, you know what I mean? And uh, uh, she's been phenomenal and been a great pillar of support, a pillar of strength. Uh, in my career, in my personal life, um, you know, so she's contributed immensely. And as I said, we've been blessed with two beautiful boys and it's something that I'm very grateful for, man, and look forward to many more years.